Hey guys, Pastor Ted here, one of the pastors at Reliance Church. We are in John chapter 4. If you'll open your Bibles there, we're going to continue in our study through the Gospel of John. And today we're continuing, uh, really it's part two of the message that we began last week. We're looking at Jesus as he goes to Samaria and ministers to the woman at the well there. And we're going to see today in our text that Jesus's work it is a manifold work. It is a many-faceted work. And so Jesus is going to uh, Samaria, to the city of Sukkar, is where we left him. And, um, and this is a regional hotspot. This is a place of racial and religious prejudice. We saw last week that the Samaritans, who were formerly Jews, uh, they intermarried with Gentiles, uh, and they became a distinctly separate ethnic group. Not only that, but they also mixed their uh, religion. They took parts of the law of Moses and they combined it with pagan superstition. And so what we find as we come to John chapter 4 is that we have a distinctly separate religious group. We have a distinctly separate racial group. And on top of that, our story, as it revolves around this Samaritan woman, it reveals issues of gender inequality. Um, you know, we, we talked about it last week. These are issues that, that they, they don't, they are, they're not limited to time, they're not limited to place, uh, there is nothing new under the sun. And these were issues that they were dealing with a couple thousand years ago, uh, they're issues that we deal with uh, today. And so here Jesus is in Sukkar, he's ministering to this Samaritan woman, and uh, she has the deck stacked against her. She faces religious prejudice, she faces racial prejudice, uh, she is uh, dealing with gender inequality, um, and as if that's not enough, this gal also has something else against her. She, she has a bad reputation. Um, this is a gal who is known as a, a loose and an immoral woman. Um, she had been married several times, five times to be exact. Uh, she is currently in a relationship with some guy that she's not married to. Um, and, uh, and so, man, she just has a lot of things against her. And really, she has been shunned on every level imaginable. But the text tells us in verse 4 that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. He's on his way to the Galilee region, but he needed to go through Samaria. We looked at last week how the Jews really, they, as a as a practice, they avoided Samaria as much as they could because they considered the Samaritan people to be half-breeds, to have this mongrel faith, uh, and, and so they hated them with a passion. And, you know, when somebody hates you, you, you have a tendency to hate them back, and the Samaritans hated the Jews as well. The Jews had done things to persecute them. They burned down the temple that these folks had, ere had erected, and so... Man, there was just a lot of, of prejudice going around. Um, but Jesus, he needed to go there. And that word uh, needed in verse 4, we looked at last week, literally it means a, uh, a need born of circumstance. And the circumstance that we soon discover is that the, this gal, her plight, her, her, the, the, if, it's not a word, but her lostness, you know, she's just so profoundly lost. And Jesus, that's what he does. He has a heart to, to go 
to the lost, to the marginalized, to the persecuted, to the to those who are who uh, are are victims of prejudice on 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 various levels. Jesus needed to go there, and as we're going to see today, and this really kind of is the heart revolving around our focus as we uh, embark on part two, really, of this message, um, is that Jesus, his saving work wasn't just for this woman but he had a saving work that he was going to do through this woman. That is hugely key for us today. The big idea of our text today hinges on this question, what are you doing with the gospel? What are you doing with the gospel? We're going to see what this gal did with the gospel. Now, let me summarize the story real quickly. Jesus needed to go through Samaria. He comes there. He encounters this woman at the well. It's, it's high noon. It's the hottest part of the day. Jesus is weary um, and, uh, and just, just you know exhausted from the travel and from ministry and all. And that's key. We'll come back to that uh, towards the end of our message. But there he is. He's... he's He's weary. He's sitting by this well. He asks this woman for a drink, Samaritan woman. And, and this gal has a shocked response. She's like, you know, basically, what are you, new? Like, you know, you're a Jew. You know, you're asking me, a Samaritan, uh, for a drink, a Samaritan woman for a drink. Um, and, uh, and so Jesus, he answers. He says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living Water And of course, this begins a dialogue back and forth with this gal who has all kinds of questions for him. And, and really, if you were with us last week, the, the, the main focus of our message last week was the question, what well are you drinking from? And we acknowledge the fact that mankind has many thirsts and uh, many wells that we go to, so to speak, metaphorically speaking. Uh, we have a thirst for love. We have a thirst for security. We have a thirst for happiness. We have thirst for significance. We have thirst for respect and for cleansing and all of these things. And for this woman, she has this deep thirst to be loved. And, uh, and, and the problem is... And, and her problem is a problem that, that so many of us have, that uh, the, the, the human heart has this nasty tendency that we seek to quench our deep spiritual thirsts with, from human sources, with temporary, uh, with temporary remedies that really don't quench our deep spiritual thirst. We need a divine provision to quench our deep spiritual thirst. Uh, thirst and 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 the reason that that us going to some other source is a problem is because those other sources they never satisfy, never satisfy. Uh, Jeremiah the prophet he said, "My people have done two evil things; they've abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns." that can hold no water at all. And for this Samaritan woman, she's been drinking from the well of companionship. Uh, Jesus says to her, hey, uh, go call your husband, bring him back. And she answers, well, I don't have any husband. And Jesus, he says, you've answered well, because you've actually had five husbands and the, and the guy you're with now, he's not your husband, right? And Jesus goes on to say, but listen, Woman, if you drink from the well, if you drink from the well, the water that I will give, he says to her, you're never going to thirst again. What Jesus was offering this Samaritan woman was a spiritual source to satisfy completely her deep 
spiritual needs. And so what Jesus does is he brings the gospel to uh, this woman. We read it there in, in verse 10. And basically, he reveals to her there in verse 10, as he, he says to her, uh, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Basically, what Jesus is illustrating to this gal is that she's blind to several things. She's blind to the promise of God. She is blind to the presence of God. And she's blind to the provision of God. In other words, she is blind to the gospel, which is the only answer to all of her problems. The gospel, the saving message of Jesus Christ, the truth, the good news, that's what gospel means. And, and, and the good news starts out with bad news. The bad news is, is that you and me, we are sinners by nature and by choice. The Bible says that all have sinned and that, uh, that we have fallen short of the glory of God. And the consequence, the penalty for our sin is death. And this is, this is uh, not only a, a physical death that we ultimately will face, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and then to judgment. And the judgment and the condemnation that we have apart from Jesus is that we, we, we are eternally separated from God because of our sin. But the good news of the gospel is that the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That if we will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he died on the cross for our sins in our place, and if we make that our confession, that Jesus loves us and he died for us and he rose from the dead, and we place our saving faith in him, we repent, which simply means to turn from the, the direction that we go in and the, the proclivity of our flesh to seek all satisfaction from all of these different well, these different sources that we think will bring us lasting happiness and never do. But if we recognize that we are going in the wrong direction and we turn and we cry out to Jesus, then we will be saved. The Apostle Paul declared in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. In other words, what Paul is saying there is that the gospel is powerful to save and that it is for everyone. There is nobody who is outside of, of the gift of God through Christ Jesus our Lord, who is outside of the opportunity to be forgiven and cleansed and to be made into a new creation. The Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And so the gospel is powerful to save. It's for everyone, no matter who you are, no matter what you have done. And so the question now becomes for this woman in our text and for you and me, what do we do with the gospel? Well, here in our text, this woman does two things with the gospel. First of all, she believes the gospel. She hears Jesus' testimony, she has this exchange with him, and she immediately goes out to, 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 to declare, really, her testimony. You know, come meet this man who told me all the things that I, that I ever did. And, and we see by her actions that, that her conversion is real. So she believes the gospel. Uh, if you remember back in John chapter 1, 
John, the Apostle John, opens this book uh, with this wonderful promise that as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. We need to receive him and we need to believe upon him. Well, this gal does that. But the second thing she does, and this is going to be the focus of our text today, of our study today, she, she believes it, but she broadcasts it. She broadcasts the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll pick it up in verse 28, where now uh, Jesus has, has revealed to, to her, he says, she says to him, uh, I know that the Messiah is coming, in verse 25, uh, who's called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus says to her in verse 26, I who speak to you am he. And we pick it up in verse 28. The woman then left her water pot and she went her way into the city and she said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And verse 30 then says, they, uh, then they went out of the city. These men who she shared her testimony with, they went out of the city and they came to Jesus. They came to Jesus. Now here in these few verses that we've just read, uh, I want you to see five important principles that are revealed in the text of broadcasting our faith. Five important principles for broadcasting our faith. We need to believe, but we also need to broadcast our faith. And so the first important principle there in verse 28, in, in verse 28 is that this woman went her way into the city. Let me unpack that, why that's an important principle. That, that phrase, went her way, literally it means to go on her way, right? And on the surface, we might just go, okay, well, it means she left, right? She left the water hole. But the idea is that she left this temporary location of, of the well where she was at, but where she was going, she was going back to the city where she lived and where she dwelled. That's a key. That's important. She goes to where she lived, to where she dwelled, to where she has, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a network of, of uh, connections and all. Um, in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus told his disciples this. He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He tells them elsewhere in the Gospels that they are to go and make disciples of all the nations. This is this opportunity, this, this, uh, this burden of responsibility, that, that not only do we need to believe upon Jesus, but having believed upon Jesus, we then need to broadcast the good news of the Gospel. This is the way Jesus has set it up. So the idea here is that our witness begins locally before it moves globally. It begins locally before it moves globally. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where, where, where you dwell, right? Then Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. We've got these, these intrinsic circles, that, that these circles of influence, right? So our witness begins locally before it moves globally. You know, oftentimes we will we'll, we'll have missions trips that, that, that we go on uh, here at the church. And, um, and we will announce, you know, those missions trips to, uh, to those that are interested in coming. 
And we see, you know, people who are excited to participate uh, in those missions trips. But I've noticed a very interesting fact that the nicer the place that we're going, the more people seem interested in going along. You know, if we're doing a missions trip to Europe, we're going to Ireland or Scotland or to Italy or to France, you know, uh, people come out of the woodwork. Everybody wants to go. High level of interest. Uh, when when we go to you know more third world type of missions uh, work, we're going to Haiti or to the Dominican Republic or some some place that's that's harsh and, and difficult. Well, there's not as many people that want to come and participate in that. But listen, regardless of where it is that we're going, that's not my point. We're, regardless though of where it is that we go. Um, one of the things we want to do when people say that they want to come along on a missions trip is, is we, want to, we want to explore where they're at in their walk with the Lord. And really, one of the chief questions that we have is, how faithful have you been to the gospel locally? How actively engaged have you been uh, to be a participant in the gospel locally? Dave Ramsey, he uh, talks about this principle that I'm getting at in his financial management uh, studies and, and courses. Um, you know, he, he, he makes the comment that people will have the attitude, man, if I won the lottery, well then, man, I, I would give a big check to charity, you know. Uh, and what, what he says is, you know, that, that actually isn't necessarily true. Um, because it all depends on if you were generous and faithful in your giving before you won the lottery. Because, because you're, you're, if your behavior in the past hasn't been to engage faithfully, then, it, then it's highly unlikely that no matter how many you know, zeros you add uh, to, to the left-hand side of the, of the decimal point, uh, I got lots of zeros on the right-hand side of the decimal point, but no matter how many zeros you want to add to the amount of money you've got in your checkbook to the left of the decimal point, well, how faithful you're going to be really is determined by how faithful you've been. The question is, as we come back to what this, what this woman did, because the woman left her water pot, verse 28, she went her way. That's the idea. The question for you and me is, what are we doing on our way? What are we doing on our way? That, you know, the, this idea of being faithful locally uh, before we're faithful globally. What are you doing on your way? Another principle for us here regarding broadcasting of our faith is will you notice that this woman went where she had an open door? She went where she had an open door. Notice again, verse 28, she left her water pot, went her way into the city, and she said to the men, to the men. You see, the circumstantial evidence suggests that this gal wasn't very popular among the women. You know, there she is at high noon coming out all alone, not being part of the group of women who would come out earlier in the day. And because, you know, of, of her poor life choices, she, she has burned some bridges with some people. And, and you know, th this is circumstantial evidence, but uh, seems, you know, to be borne out in the story. And so she doesn't have an open door with the women of her city, but she has an open door with the men of her city. Now, wisdom is indicated here um, because, you know, Paul cautioned Timothy that, you know, he said, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, 
faithfulness, love, and peace. And then he adds this. He says, enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that when you come to the Lord, you know, you need to make, you need to make an effort to cultivate godly relationships because it's those godly relationships that empower us and that we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds, right? For example, um, you know, if, if you, you know, are delivered and saved out of a, a, a past of drug addiction, uh, it's generally a good idea for you not to go back and run with the people you used to run with and hang in the circles where you used to hang with only because the temptation is so great. And so we would encourage you that, you know, hey, make sure that you're cultivating godly friendships and that you're, you're establishing healthy friendships that are going to encourage you. Um, but having said that, listen, we have to acknowledge the fact in the words of D.T. Miles that at its most basic element, evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread, right? And, and uh, you know, Billy Graham, he said, the greatest form of praise is the sound of consecrated feet seeking out the lost and the helpless, and so this gal, she has at her disposal really an open door where she can go back into the city and engage in a conversation with people that actually uh, she has an open door to engage in. And she's doing so with a heart that is just bubbling over. Jesus had so impressed this woman with his love and with his grace and with his mercy, even though he confronted her in her sin, that she was now compelled to tell those in her city to whom she had an open door that they should come to the well and that they should meet Jesus himself. And so she went with an open door. And here's the question for us as we consider this, what are the open doors in my life? What are the open doors in your life? When it pertains to broadcasting the good news of the gospel, what are the, 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 the open doors that are available to you to go through and do that? Well, the uh, third principle for us here in broadcasting our faith is that this woman pointed them to Jesus. Notice in verse 29, she says, come see a man. Come and see, right? Now, the key word here is come. Uh, it, 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 it is, you know, it's a Greek word. It's dute. And the idea is, hey, let's go together. Notice she didn't say, go and see this guy. She said, come and see this guy. Dute, let's go together. And it's written in the Greek in the imperative. Here's the idea. Come with me right now. There's an urgency. There's an imperativeness to it. See, witnessing for Christ, so often it can be a one-time event. You know, we, we encounter somebody, we have no relationship with them, a, a waitress or, you know, a, a, you know, some, you know, barista or whatever. You know, we, it's somebody that, that we're not going to see again and we may witness. But generally, most often, witnessing for Christ involves walking alongside people. It's done in the context of relationship where we care enough about someone to say to them, hey, come and see the guy that's changed my life. Let's walk together. Let's, let me take you to him. And, and again, this begs the question, 
Are we doing that? Are we cultivating those kind of relationships? And I'm not talking about, you know, a a multi-level marketing type of cultivating relationships. You know, I remember years ago, I ran into a guy, I hadn't seen him in years, and he he acted so happy to see, oh, hey, how you doing? I'm like, oh man, it's so great to see you. And asked about his wife and and they just had a, a baby. I'm like, oh, we would love to see you guys. And he, yeah, let me come out. And then the guy shows up at my house, he's all alone and he's trying to sell me multi-level marketing scheme. I was so upset because, you know, he was just looking to close a deal. He was just looking to make a sale, right? He wasn't interested in, in cultivating relationship. I mean, we're all familiar with the saying, you know, people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care, right? And so what this gal is, she, she's, she's there, she's engaging in a relationship, and she's pointing people to Jesus. And she's doing, though, she's doing that in, in a way that says, let's go together, Right? Another principle for us here regarding broadcasting our faith is that she exercises wisdom and tact. Notice again in verse 29, she she asks the question, could this be the Christ, right? Last week, remember, we saw that that women were regarded more as property than people. They they kind of were were not in, uh, they they didn't enjoy um, you know, the rights and privileges that, that women today in, in our society enjoy. Um, and, and as well, this particular woman, she has marginalized herself because she's made all sorts of poor life choices, right? And, and she isn't regarded for being religious. Let's just put it that way, right? She's, she's not seen as somebody who, who has this, this, this righteous faith, right? And I want you to imagine the reaction and the argument if she would have approached these men in a different way. If she would have come to them and said, hey, this is the Christ and you need to know. And this is, the, you know, and, and she had come on strong in that way, given her background, given the relationship that she had with them. If she came across like a know-it-all, it would have been an instant argument. I mean, I can just see their reaction. Then people would be like, okay, thanks, Mother Teresa right? And, and, you know, I'll get right on that. You know, they, 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 there would have been this, this opposition, right? Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Many of you have experienced that, right? People remember who you used to be. And, and so when, when you come across, you know, in, to someone like that, the witness is very difficult, right? Now, hold that thought because uh, this principle is, is, is linked, really, to, to this next principle. The fifth principle that we see here regarding broadcasting our faith is that this gal shared her testimony. Notice again, verse 29, she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now, we, we noticed last week, right, the, that, you know, this is something that she would have rather everybody forgot. Uh, this is something she wouldn't like to talk about. I mean, Jesus, when he asks her, hey, go call your husband, she's like, uh, I have no husband, right? She's, she just wants to sweep all of that under the rug. Why? Because, because it's just shining a light on her poor life choices. It's shining a light on her sin. But this gal, there's power in testimony. She's sharing her testimony. She acknowledges her past, what people knew about her to be true, but then she wisely and tactfully just weaves in that simple question, could this be the Christ, right? 
And, and I want you to look at this effectiveness of doing this. And by the way, just before I move on, just, just in, by way of application, we all have a past. We all have the person that we were before Christ, right? But we know who Jesus is and what he's done and what he can do. And so when you come to somebody with, a, with, with wisdom and with tact and, and, and with just a spirit of humility, just simply to say, listen, man, you know who I used to be. And, I, and man, there's just no arguing with, with what this guy has done in my life. And man, I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And can, can, I, can I just show you him? You know, just, just go and, and meet my Savior, right? And so, so this gal does that. She exercises wisdom intact and she weaves it into her testimony come see this man who told me everything I ever did. And she then just wisely puts out this simple question, could this be the Christ? Could it, could it be? And, and this man, this does the trick. It plants the seed. Verse 30, it says, they went out of the city and they came to Jesus, right? Now, that's the goal. That's the goal. We're not engaging people to win an argument. We're not engaging people, and so often, you know, especially social media is horrible this way, is, is that we'll become the God squad and we'll start hitting the people over the head, you know, with, with the Bible, and, and we're looking to win arguments, right? But the, the issue is winning people, winning people, and that's the fruit. They go to meet Jesus. Man, isn't that what we want? Isn't that the whole goal? We want people to meet the guy that changed our life, right? And so, so this, is, this is the whole idea. Now, let me ask a question as we transition, because the story is now going to shift to Jesus' disciples. Who was just in the city? Jesus' disciples, right? They were just in the, in the city. And did any one of them engage with these men in witness? It would, it would appear, no, that they did not, right? Why? Because they're too focused on their bellies. They're too focused on the task at hand. Notice verse 31 through 34. It says, in the meantime, in other words, all of this is going on, this whole dynamic, this whole reason that Jesus came, right, to work in this woman, but also to work through this woman. That's the key. But in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Right? Hey, we just went in, we got your food, eat, brother, right? But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. And therefore the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Right? They're, they're falling into the same trap that the Samaritan woman fell into last week. He's talking about spiritual things and he's using water as a metaphor. And now he's using food as a metaphor and, they, and they're thinking in physical terms. They're thinking, you know, like, you know, in the, the issue of food. Well, we got you food, right? And Jesus said to them, verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus is not he saying here that food and drink and rest aren't important. Uh, he's saying that life, eternal life, is more important than those things. He's saying, really, what he, what he said to Satan in the temptation in the wilderness, listen, mankind does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
And what he's telling his disciples here is that there's an urgency to spreading the gospel. He's going to make that clear in the next several verses. And so when he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, he's using hunger and appetite as a metaphor for spiritual imperatives. No, no differently than he used water as a metaphor for the Samaritan woman, as a spiritual imperative. And so he says to them, verse 35, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already they're already white for the harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored, and others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. Jesus says, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? This was a parable, a common parable spoken in the day. And the basic idea was, hey, relax. Things take time, right? There's no hurry. And this is one of the huge lies of Satan, by the way. C.S. Lewis was talking about the lies of Satan. And he you know, said, you know, one of the lies that Satan uses is there's no heaven. Another lie that he uses is there's no hell. But one of the most effective lies that Satan uses, there's no hurry. There's no hurry. You've got time, right? Well, Jesus is trying to convey to these guys, look, there is an urgency. The fields are already white at the harvest. And, and interestingly, by the way, these Samaritans, because of their religious garb, they would wear these big white turbans. And we know they're making their way out of the city now across the fields, coming to Jesus. And so literally, as Jesus looks out at the field, you, you, you might have seen scores, this ocean, this sea of, of white turbaned guys coming across the fields, coming to him. Look, the fields are white at the harvest, right? And, and so the idea here is, look, you guys went into the city, you missed this opportunity, right? And it was right in front of you. It was right there in front of you. You went in, you got your food, you got out. It was the despised Samaritan woman who did the heavy lifting for you guys, right? Begs a question for us. And by the way, I'm not going to have questions at the end of the, the message. I'm weaving them through the message as we go. And I hope you write these questions down to take a walk with them. But it begs the question, what opportunities are you missing? What opportunities are right in front of us where we have to recognize, look, Jesus wants to do a work today. And not only does he want to do a work in you, as he did in the Samaritan woman, he wants to do that work through you. This is the key idea. And again, even as Jesus is speaking, these Samaritans, they're coming across the field toward him. Now, let's, let's just put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples. I, I imagine that it is quite possible that when they made their way into the city, that even if they had thought about sharing the gospel, because they've been doing this with Jesus now for a little while, even if they had thought about it, I would imagine that the thought of there's no chance in Hades that these guys are going to come to the Lord, that these guys are going to want to hear this. This may have been what was going on in their mind. And we do this too, right? Think about it. You know, aren't there those people in your life where you, where you think there's no chance, there's no chance that they're going to receive the gospel. 
Listen, the Bible says this in Ecclesiastes 11, verse 4. I'll read it to you in the New Living Translation. It says, farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest, right? What a, a, a perfect example. Warren Wiersbe kind of expands on this. He says, for some reason, when it comes to witnessing for Christ, it's always the wrong time and the wrong place. And, it, and he says, it takes faith to sow the seed, yet we must do it even when the circumstances look discouraging. Charles Spurgeon, he, he says it a little stronger. He says this, he says, expect a blessing. Believe that you will have it. Go to work to get it and do not be satisfied unless you do have it. Now that kind of sounds a little bit like prosperity gospel. Accept a blessing, expect it. God wants to bless you. That, that's it's really not the attitude in which he was saying that. He was saying, listen, when you go out to engage obediently in broadcasting the gospel, expect God to bless your efforts. Expect it. Engage in it. Have faith. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. For, for those who come to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so it takes faith to receive and to believe the gospel, but it also takes that faith to then broadcast the gospel. And, and guys, as your pastor, my heart, my burden on my heart is this, that I'm seeing the church, and I'm talking not, just, not you know, in terms of just Reliance Church, but I'm seeing a famine in the land of those that are willing to broadcast the gospel. And the time is more urgent now than it's ever been that you and I, we have good news. We have the cure for what ails the society that we're living. And we, and we you know, watch uh, these, you know, live streamers on, on Facebook or, or, or we watch the news broadcast and we see all of the things that are going on, horrible things, heartbreaking things. And we have the cure, we have the answer, we have the hope. And people need to hear this, this hope broadcast from us. And so Jesus here, he uses the picture of food and harvest to communicate this spiritual idea that there are many people who are ready to be received into the kingdom of God, so many more than you or I could even hope or imagine or expect. And that the disciples should see themselves as workers, that they should see themselves, we should see ourselves as reapers in the harvest, right? Now, notice there in verse 38, he says, I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Now he's going to use the word labor three times here. I've sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Now that word labor is very important. It's the same word that was used all the way back in verse 6 where we read that Jacob's well was there and Jesus therefore being wearied from his journey sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. That word wearied in verse 6 is the exact same word as this word labored. And here's the idea. Witnessing, broadcasting our faith, it is wearisome. It's wearisome. Uh, I, I'm reminded in Mark chapter 6, where Jesus had sent the disciples out two by two. And they came back ecstatic, but they were exhausted as well. And Jesus then goes on to give them that lesson, which I've shared several times, 
where he says, hey, we're going to go away on a retreat. But they get to the other side and all the people are there. And Jesus had compassion on the people. He saw them as sheep, not having a shepherd. And so what did he do? He didn't blow them off and, oh, we're tired. We've worked. We, we, we punched in our time now. Now we're going to take a break from you people. No, he said to his disciples, feed them. Feed them. You feed them. He cared for them, ministered to them all day. And, and we have to understand that sometimes witnessing is wearisome. This is why Paul told the Galatians, let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we don't lose heart. If we don't lose heart. The psalmist said, those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. And so Jesus here, he encourages the disciples in their work, and he's telling them, listen, your work in the harvest, it's going to be rewarded. He tells them it's going to last forever. And he's telling them, listen, this is a team effort, right? And we're all in this together. And then Jesus adds this in verse 38. He says, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Who's Jesus talking about here? Well, he's reminding the disciples that, th that this, is, this is, you know, more of a relay race. It's, it's a, you know, you carry the baton for one section and somebody else carries the baton for another section. When he says others have labored, certainly Jesus has labored. John the Baptist has labored. John the Baptist's disciples have labored, right? And this Samaritan woman, she's labored for the gospel. And Jesus is now saying, here... The fields are white. Look at all these guys coming out because of this gal's faithful laboring. Paul, he was talking to the Corinthians, and they were all, you know, I'm a follower of Paul, I'm a follower of Apollos, and, and so on. And, and he says, when you say this, aren't you just acting like people of the world? He says, after all, who's Apollos? Who's Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. That's the key. That's what we got to ask. What's the work that God's given to you? What's the work he's given to me? He says, each of us did the work God gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts. Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. He says, it's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters, they work together for the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their hard work. And so we finish out our text here today, and I'm going to just read the next several verses and make two observations, and we're going to close in prayer. But verse 39 says, Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the woman who testified, He told me all that I ever did. Hold that thought. And so when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days. Well, the love of Jesus stays there for two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you have said, for we, have said, we ourselves have heard of him. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. What they're not saying here is your witness means nothing. The emphasis is, we heard Jesus. We heard what Jesus had to say to us. Her witness, the text makes very clear that they came to believe because 
of this woman who testified. So it takes nothing away from her. They're emphasizing we have come to know Jesus. And really that's the end goal of all of our broadcasting the gospel. We want people to come to know Jesus. I believe, I've heard, I've met him, I know him, I've received him. And so two observations. My first observation, I'm borrowing from Warren Wiersbe. He makes this observation and I think it's too good not to just highlight. He says that it's interesting to study Jesus's movements that brought him here to Samaria. That he was in Jerusalem in John chapter two. And then he came to Judea in John chapter three. And then he moved to Samaria in John chapter four. And here now in verse 42, these Samaritans declare that he's the savior of the world. I want you to catch that. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the world. Where do we hear that? We heard it in Acts chapter one. Jesus told his disciples in Acts chapter one, verse eight, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We see it manifested here. Jesus doing that himself, Jesus exhorting his disciples to do that. You be faithfully, faithful locally, and then you take it globally. That's the idea, broadcasting the message. My closing observation here, and I'll be very short on this point. It's there connected with verse 39. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. Many in this lost city are saved for all eternity because of the witness of a brand new baby Christian. Here's my exhortation to you as we close in prayer. You have no idea you have no idea what God can do and what God will do. He will do that work in you and he will do that work through you. The question is, are you willing? Are you willing to broadcast?